All right, social media family. Thank you once again for joining us for lesson number 20 in a, the A Better Way to Pray series. Now, the subtitle for the lesson tonight is Hindrances. Hindrances. Now, we've already talked about hindrances in our previous lesson. So, but this, we'll try to, to focus in on the different types of things that are hindrances to answered prayer and look at what the responses are for those, for those hindrances. So let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we'll start at verse 21. And we go down to verse 29. Chapter 9, 21 to 29. And I come from the New King James. And it reads, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Now, this is the situation where the father brings the young man who's having seizures, right? All right. And he said, from childhood, verse 22, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water willing to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And we had, when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now looking at verses 21 to 29, what hindrance, hindrance do we see manifesting itself in this scenario here? Unbelief. All right. Unbelief. Mm -hmm. That's it. Lord, I believe. He already was believing, but help my unbelief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if he didn't believe, he he wouldn't be he wouldn't have never brought Jesus mm -hmm. brought his son to Jesus in the first place, right? Or he never would have brought him to the disciples in the first place. Yeah. All right. 
Okay. Now, if we see unbelief here, personal unbelief, and when I say personal unbelief, I'm, I'm referring the, unto the un, unbelief of, of, as of our unbelief as individuals. Okay. So that's one hindrance to answer prayer is our own personal unbelief. Okay. Now, what is another type of unbelief that we've talked about that is a hindrance to prayer as well? Disbelief. Okay. All right. Explain. It means that um, like this means that means that you hear, even though you hear the truth, but then you just reject it. Okay. I think it's Paul Kenneth Hagen was famous for saying you can have you can believe in your heart, but have unbelief in your mind. So you're you have in your heart and your spirit the truth, mm -hmm. but there can be unbelief. And he says they can operate at the same time. Isn't mm -hmm. that how he worded it? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> so just like this man had belief to come to Jesus, mm -hmm. but then what he was seeing with his physical eyes could cause unbelief. You remember Debbie, who uh, had her eyes healed, <clears throat> and she was calling people on the phone, and she was reading from the small print in her Bible without her glasses on and everything? This went on for about 20 or 30 minutes, and she said, I can't believe it. And her eyes went right back to where they were when she said that. Okay. All right, so we have personal unbelief, and we have disbelief or just outright rejection of the truth. All right. Now, obviously, if you just do not believe, let's say we, we talk about healing a lot here, so let's just talk about healing. Now, if you don't believe that that's for you, then if somebody prays for you, then that's going to be there's there's going to be a, a a blockage right there from you receiving right because you don't you don't believe in that as something that you can have anyway. All right, so that can be a hindrance. There's so many times in my life that I've asked God, especially in the past several. I mean. Several years, I'm like, God, why didn't you tell me this back then? I would have known and I would have been able to avoid this. And I know God showed me every time he couldn't. I mean, he, he's big. He can do anything. It's not that. It's just I had doctrines where I would not have believed that he was telling me that. I was so caught up in religion and like, oh, that's some demon spirit telling me that. You know, that's my own thought. You know, he had told me, I love you unconditionally. I have this great plan for your life that will blow your mind. It's like, no, no, you want me to go to Africa and you want me to be some nun somewhere. It would have been like, you know, I would have even, I would have listened. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So we've gotten, we've identified three. All right. Now there's another unbelief that I want us to look at too. So let's go to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8. And we can look at verses 22 to 26. Mark 8, verses 22 to 26. Okay. Right. Read this in the New Living Translation. It says, When they arrived, 
at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. What do you see in verse 26? Twenty six, right? Mm-hmm. Don't go back because there was unbelief in that town. Here you go. There's been so many times to maybe think this reading this. Like I've had like God show me something, and we've all probably been there. And even though you know that you know that you know God showed it to you, it's your promise, or it's your healing, whatever. It really, I think, it makes it harder to be around you know people who are going to be like me, you know, like say something against it, that, you know. So yeah, you know. That's probably good advice Jesus gave him. Of course, this is Jesus was like, no, don't go back there. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I've, I've experienced people would talk you out of your, yeah. your blessing or what God, they would talk you out of it. Yeah. Because if you yeah. tell them and they'd be like, well, you know, this, this. Well, you know, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> so and they would talk you out of what God gave you word for or what the word says. We've heard of people talk out of their healing. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk you out of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Because this, this scripture always bugged me. He, because he, Jesus interrupted funerals and raised people that were dead, and then this guy prayed for twice. And always, this, this scripture has always bugged me that he laid hands on him twice. What's the correct answer? Anybody? I don't know. All right, let's read it again. I'm reading Amplified. Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he led him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Then again, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and the man stared intently, and his sight was completely restored, and he began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. He got two levels of healing. It's got something to do with the village. Jesus asked him, Do you see anything? He did see something. But then it says the next time he focused his eyes, he looked intently. Well, this is the only time in Scripture this happened, right? Well, that Jesus prayed twice? Yeah, for the same thing. And, okay, but what if it just wasn't enough time 
the guy's sight was returning gradually, and first he just saw shadows. He didn't see clearly, and then well, maybe Jesus wouldn't have had to pray well, That's again. still conjecture. I'm trying of to find something in scripture, you know. And then he did see clearly. <laughs> and keeping away from town, Kevin away from unbelief. So they have time to reflect on what Then he started singing, I can see clearly okay. now. If, if Jesus prayed <laughs> for you and, you and you went from blind to seeing people like trees walking, I get, you would be encouraged. I get what then happened. Then he prays again, you're already encouraged because you went from blind to seeing something. So your faith is already now being built up. So when he prays again, bam, you get I focused. get. I get that. I get that. But he, he took people out of coffins, and they didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, there's something here I'm missing, you know. Oh. I mean, yeah, there, there's something there. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, could it be in a, like an atmosphere of unbelief? Um, you know, um, when Jesus says, you know, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So I take that to meaning like we are together, gathered together in his name. There's a, a greater power or an influence of him that's there because we are gathered together in his name. So if there's a whole bunch of people gathered together in unbelief, is that like a certain type of atmosphere to overcome? kind of similar to the atmosphere that where in his own town he could only lay hands. He couldn't do many miracles, but only laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's what I see. Wouldn't that have kept uh, lots of people from getting healed at Benny Hinn meetings or Catherine Coleman? Because you got unbelievers in there. Thousands of unbelievers. But maybe it was, he was hearing it. Where was his hometown at when he went to his hometown? What what city was that? Does it say in the scripture? Yeah, it does say. It says No, no, his hometown. This is where he healed the, the this guy that was blind. But I'm wondering if that same spirit was here as it was in his hometown, where it said he could only do a few a few miracles because the people you know nobody came to him to ask to be healed because they. They were thinking, I know you, you're the illegitimate child of Mary and Joseph. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that same spirit's in this place. It says the people brought this man, the people brought the blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. There was no unbelief there. Uh, I'm, 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 just, I'm just wondering, trying to put things together. I, I can't figure it out. Could it be maybe too, like, it wasn't just a town, but like, or a certain place, like, like with us, like, you know, they say it's, you know, it's best. I mean, it's best to make sure whatever church or body of believers are at to make sure that they're in agreement with like healing principles that we know and God wants you well and God's a good God that kind of thing. Because I was thinking like you know when it's the establishment, even like like Benny Hinn when we said that even that like Benny Hinn's believing and the people on the platform believe once you establish it, right? Even if you have people in the building who are kind of skeptical and stuff, but the basic atmosphere is, you know, belief. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's an important thing to think of, because I was thinking about a church that I tried to go to for a while. Mom knows what I'm talking about. Well, she kind of did too, but she was working at the time, so she couldn't go as much as me. She was struggling with, with bird healing for her ears, 
And I was trying to find something somewhere, and we weren't finding it in the church we were in. And I would go, and they believed in healing. They really did. I mean, they saw miracles, but it was that if God chooses to type of thing. And I didn't see it at first because when you're desperate, you don't see it. But anyways, long story short, I do not believe mom would have ever received anything. I don't think I would have either. And they were very sweet people. Nothing to do with that. But it finally took me one night. I think God was trying to go like like this to me one night because I was just like, they don't believe that way. No, they really don't. No, no, the pastors don't believe that way, you know. And him and I, the, the pastor, he was, you know, he'd take time from everything. It was wonderful that way. But we were sitting and he goes, and I talked, so he knew how I felt about my mom and I wanted her healed and she was working at the time. He goes, well, your mom's going through a trial. She knew it was a trial. It wouldn't be one. This is something God's putting her through, whatever, and this and that. And I'm just sitting there and I felt like my like arteries froze up. But anyways, God ended up talking to me that. So I was like, and I would hear people in that church too before them. And I kept ignoring it like, no, 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 I don't, I don't hear it. No, God, we, we need this church, God. You can't bring us under the body of believers to go to, you know? you feel but anyway it was like the atmosphere and i noticed that people would go in the lord's on time and god's on time such with such with. but maybe it's just like the main i guess you say whoever's an authority maybe might have something to do with it i don't know like you know in that atmosphere that's just a thought anyway <laughs> well, did you notice jesus said do you the amplifest is possibly see anything he went from it was like just an increment the guy got was able to see something that would encourage me. But go ahead, break in, because I'll go from something to more. I'm thinking of Pam. Do you remember the day we were our friend Pam, who's blind? She got on the phone. We were we passed the phone around. It was a remember that training mm -hmm. we and this woman had multiple sclerosis, mm -hmm. and we all prayed for her. Nothing happened. Pam gets on the phone. And she starts out with, move a toe. Before they got off the phone, the lady was walking around her kitchen with no cane, no nothing. And when she called, because she, she started, was in tears. She, she was started crying. with one thing. She saw results. It built her faith. So then Pam said, move your foot. And then she started. And before she's within 20 minutes, she's walking all around her house, just praising God. And I said, that's something I need to remember. It was like just an incremental. She increased. She increased her faith by letting her do. She didn't ask her to do something monumental, like jump up and down. Right? It was move a toe. And then the lady's faith was increased because it happened. And then she just incrementally moved up to moving your whole body. And I remember thinking, I need to remember that if God directs, you know, and the Holy Spirit directs in that way. That's good. Yeah. Because I know, now just looking at this passage here in Mark 8, what do we know for sure, right? Now, we know that there's nothing wrong with Jesus' faith, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not the issue. All right. So the variables are the person receiving the atmosphere. These are two variables here, right? And you see he gave him specific instruction to not enter the village. So that, I mean, we can gather something from that. Yeah, that's a big clue there. Right. Because remember, what did God say to Abraham? To leave his oh, yeah. home country. Mm -hmm. Get out. His kindred. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
the individuals around you, right? It has a it has a profound effect on how on what what you believe and how you walk out your your life, how you live, your culture. And I think we underestimate that stuff. The impact that that our atmosphere has. This is not you know trying to put a governor on what God can do. Because he, we all know, you know, he's all powerful, all knowing. That's that. That's not the issue. The issue is, is us. The these hindrances that we're trying to identify, and once we we can identify them, we can address them. So, all that to say that you know the atmosphere around you, your social network, what you listen to, what you say, all that stuff matters. Because it has an impact on what's going on here. Mom and I were just talking about this on the way here, kind of, sort of. But we we're talking about church culture, like, you know, just talking about it's like, you know, I mean, and it's totally good to go to church. Please go to a good church, everybody, and listen. But it, like, um, you know, praying about where it's supposed to be, of course. Because um, I even got the thing, I said, you know, you may go to a church where, like, I was thinking, I said, um, we know a church, really good church, and very much how we believe here. But they were really big on one of the things that were like, you know, of course we're in good finances, but it was um, a principle of, you know, don't rent, you need to buy a house, you need to buy a house. And I go, that's great. I mean, you know, it's a good principle, but I go, what if God is leading you to rent somewhere? I'm like, what if there's a purpose for that? Or you feel like you're supposed to be, you know, there's that kind of thought. And I said, we have to be careful that, you know, good principles we have, but that they don't put God in a box or what he's trying to do in our life. Like, I think, you know, everything a leader in our life, anybody says, you know, or like a book we read, you always should, like, bring it before God first and go, like, hey, is this what I'm supposed to do? You know, that kind of thing. I think, I think Keith kind of had it here. I think, you remember when Jesus was in the house, was it, was it the maiden that was dead? And he went to the house and he had to send everybody out first. Mm -hmm. Now, this guy said he saw men as trees walking, which means there was people around him. So the fact that, that, that Jesus had to do it a second time, I'm wondering if it was the atmosphere, you know, of, of well, unbelief around the him. The atmosphere he had came out of, these people that brought him believed along with it. It was it could still be just the atmosphere he had been around. Maybe that's why Jesus said, don't go back there, go back to your house so you can think about what I did. And I hear what they would enter, eventually tear at it mm -hmm. and break down the, you know, pick at this to you go like because when I was going through what I did when I come out of the hospital and it's still bothering it's the emotional no one came to see me and it just it it hurt me so bad because I have all this family see that would make me happy when I felt bad I didn't want people around because I, I didn't I, feel bad so I felt like I had to <laughs> I felt like I had to be, be, be up and, and entertaining and stuff if somebody came in. No, I didn't, I didn't feel that. This is just me. And uh -huh. but the point later on, it was I was really upset for several weeks. And just to keep reminding me, I didn't, did you ever have an idea that I may have orchestrated this to keep everybody away? Because you were taking steps away from the traditional stuff that they were telling me I had to do. And they would have been like, Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you doing it? And I had to do with um, there are people that we know and love, but they've been over like why um, rice. Yeah, I'm doing what I have to do. That's what I had to say because I have not did. I'm doing. I have been doing what I 
Pick any zoo. There's a lot of people I love more when there's a space between us. <laughs> Let's go to Mark 6. <laughs> Mark 6. All right. Sure. All right. And we're going to go through verses 1 through 6. All right. I'm going to read this in the. Read this in the Amplified. Says Jesus left there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in a synagogue, and many who listened to him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? This knowledge and spiritual insight? What is this wisdom? This confident understanding of the scripture that he has been giving to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are his sisters not here with us? And they were deeply offended by him. And their disapproval blinded them to the fact that he was anointed by God as the Messiah. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, respect, except in his hometown and among his relatives. And in his own household. And he could not do a miracle there at all because of their unbelief, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. He wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around in the villages teaching. So we see he was in his own hometown, Nazareth. Right? And again, who was the hindering factor here? It's not Jesus. It's their offense. Their own offense. Blinded them. Yes, it's true. So did you do that? But their offense didn't keep the people who weren't offended by getting healed. It only kept them. They didn't even go to get in line or get prayed for because they were offended. If you're offended, you don't go listen to somebody preach. But their offense didn't keep the other people from getting healed. Well, offended people will go to a person's meeting yep. just, just to monitor. Yep. Well, or you know, mock. You monitor, or yeah, because you got monitoring spirits that would do that. That's what Jesus dealt with. It is old ministry. And this, this tells something here. It says... Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Back then, they used to use the son of the father. Mm -hmm. They were they were they should have said the son of Joseph. No, no they didn't say that. Yeah, because his lineage comes from Mary. Well, that was the lineage, but these people didn't know that. These people thought he was illegitimate. I believe. Because see, what you're seeing here, now the people that got healed, what did they what did they do? They will they put themselves in a position to receive. Yeah, they got in line. Uh, they 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 got theirs. But the vast majority of the people there, what? They did. They did. They did not honor who he was. Mm -mm. Just like those who were like, I don't know who Son is. I don't care. But I know something good there. Mm -hmm. And that's like an indoctrination in our minds, or like it conditions us to not right. receive. It's like, oh, he's the illegitimate child of Mary. Because right. <laughs> because that's not to say because you can be in an environment where your whole surrounding is just dark and clouded 
But that's not going to that's not going to be the final determining factor on whether you receive or not. That's still between you and God. But we talk about hindrances. Now, if if the if the atmosphere around you is is a is a wall of offense, then you as the individual are under more pressure to fall in line with that. But if you resist, then guess what? You can still receive, regardless of what the atmosphere says. But you see, right here, many were offended. So that principle of, you know, your atmosphere, because the scripture says evil communication corrupts good manners. So that stuff, so the atmosphere that you're around, it it matters. It, it it can be a hindrance. Could the healing of the blind man be an example of the working of miracles that's talked about in First Corinthians twelve? Hmm. That's the only example we would have of Jesus performing a working of a miracle. Keith tells a story. One time he was sent to the hospital to pray for a man. They said he's dying. He didn't know this man. They said he's dying. The doctors have only given him a few days. So he went to the hospital and he talked to the doctors. He says. What are his conditions? And they told him, he says, which of these will kill him first? And they told him. So he went in, sat down, talked to the man, and he said, could you and I agree on one thing? Of all the things that are wrong with you, let's focus on one thing. And so they came to agreement, and they prayed. He prayed over that man, and the man was healed. And this was a serious thing because it was the first thing that would kill him. Keith went back every day, and each day he then took the next thing on the list. Within a week, the man was home, totally healed and well. Because he built the man's faith up by taking the most critical thing, might not have been in our eyes, and, and prayed for that first. And then the man's faith was increased to then believe for the other things. So I'm just wondering, I thought that's what a, wor a working of a miracle is when you don't see immediate manifestation of the whole thing. And we've seen people do that, getting people to walk. They start, you know, and then they keep praying and the, the miracle increases until there's a total healing. That's good. Sounds right to me. Well, that happened in the healing room that night with that lady that came in on the cane, mm -hmm. and she couldn't walk the first time I prayed for her. I ended up praying for her four times, and she walked to her car without a cane. That lady in Waynesburg got a new knee. What was was that? Was that that wasn't a working of a miracle. Yeah, that she was received the whole thing. Right the miracle. Away. Yeah. I mean, that was like in one second she had a new and knee. And there was a day I would not have prayed four times, but the fact that that lady could walk a couple of steps without her cane, she was encouraged. So I said, "Okay, I'm not happy with that. How about you?" You want more? Yes. So, so you mind if I pray for it again? Let's hit it again. Mm -hmm. And we went four times and she, no cane, walked out to her car. Mm -hmm. That's good. For, for me, that was the first time that I had, I would have called that the working of a miracle because she didn't get the whole thing instantly. But she got enough faith. If she could take two steps, she could take more. <laughs> Man, that sounds progressive. I would say a miracle being instant. Right, I think it's a, that's why it's called the working of a miracle. Because if you're paralyzed, in 15 minutes later you're walking, but it took two or three times of prayer. You, maybe you, maybe the first thing all you could do was get up out of the wheelchair. 
and then it led to one step. Then that's, <clears throat> to me, what a working of a miracle is, that it's not an instantaneous 100% healing at one time. You have to continue to work it into full manifestation. So that is the other thing. I remember Andrew telling the story of the woman that was technically she's blind. Her glasses were coat glasses. She really couldn't even see with them. So technically she's on, you know, blind. And they had had this long revival at the, at the church. And she had been praying for so many times for her eyes to be healed. And her, we were talking about it last week. Her hope was broke. It never worked. And she began to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. He's praying for people all week. And there's one healing miracle after another. And she would always, she'd come every night and she would always stay away from the, the, the healing line. She didn't want to go near it because she didn't want to be heartbroken. And he noticed. And that the last night he called her, he, he, they cornered her in all And he's like, You haven't been praying for heavy issues. Maybe whatever. And it was, mm -hmm. he prayed for her. And he told her, Close your eyes. That was it. So he was, Close your, close your eyes. And he, he prayed for her. And he said, You know, pray that you be seen. He goes, what he, he didn't ask her his eye, her eyes. He said, "What do you see?" And she opened her eyes. He goes, "No, I don't want you to open your eyes. I want you to tell me what you see." Mm -hmm. well, how can I see if I don't open my eyes? He goes, "I don't want you to see with your eyes. I want you to see with your imagination." And he prayed again. She, he said, "Now what do you see?" She did it again. It was like three or four times. And then finally, on like the fourth, maybe it was the fourth time, he said, "What do you see?" It wasn't forceful, but he was, you know, he was trying to get through to her. It's your, it's in the spiritual realm, it's in your imagination. Andrew's, you know, so big on you hear him say, you have to see it in your imagination. And that's in the spiritual realm, and it is yours. And he said, that time, he said, what do you see? And she goes, I see myself seeing. Yeah. He goes, open your eyes. And she could see it in the back of the room. He goes, now you're healed. And we see that with Billy Burke when he ministers. Mm -hmm. George Pearson's church. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of working of miracles, a whole lot of them. Probably more working of miracles than regular miracles. And people will see, he'll say, Can you read that sign in the back of the room? No, but I can see the sign. And then he prays but he again. Doesn't, and then, he doesn't take any credit for it. He just, he just uh, names things that are happening. And then uh, people come up and God's already well, done it most of the time. Knowledge, yeah. Most of the time, God's already done it. My point is, is that the healing is progressive. Mm -hmm. Well, see, to me, that was a, a hope was broken. Hope was, mm -hmm. was hurt. She was hurt. And she she lost. It's not working. And I must be doing something wrong. God doesn't want me healed. I mean, you, know, you know, he lies to us. Mm -hmm. The enemy will come. We're talking mm -hmm. about that. He goes, it ain't working. You ain't never going to get healed. And it, and gets to and she tried so much. She's I'm not doing it and stuff. Right. I'm not being disappointed. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, no. <coughs> and he saw that too. It's like her hope needs to be restored. It's just part of her faith. We talk about faith, hope, and love. They work together. Yeah. One is broken. All right. And see, you know, last week we were talking about variables, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you know, we see how things, you know, a one person can pray for someone or lay hands on someone and you get one result and then you the same person can pray for someone else and it goes a different way but there are things going on inside the individual that we don't know yeah. right you know what the ind the individual atmospheres can be different the individual hearts are different all these things are going on 
right? So, you know, our position is, is to be steadfast on, okay, we know what God's will is. Now, we're going to pray in line with what his will is. If I don't see manifestation then, in right there instantly, then my job is not to drop the ball there and say, okay, well, you didn't receive. Let me move on to the next person. No. We keep our faith on the field. Now, depending on what's going on in that particular atmosphere and with the individual, I mean, you may pray one, pray again, or continue to minister to this person to try to get at what what that what their individual hindrance is, because there could be some things they you know that they're hearing at that moment that are resisting. There's some unbelief that's operating that is hindering them from receiving everything that is theirs, right? But see, this is why we keep talking about how important it is for us to be open and hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, how we, you know, where he's guiding us, because he knows, we don't know what he knows. So better we can, the better we can hear him, the more effective and efficient we can be for, you know, in our own lives and to, and to minister to others. Yes. All the hands, one of your piggyback. Hands. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just to piggyback a little more on that, Julius, wouldn't it, you know, couldn't you even maybe ask someone else to pray, say, if you're ministering as a couple or or a team or a group, and maybe that person you're praying for knows you or knows somebody else there that that somebody else could pray for them and possibly maybe receive from them because it could be like say if somebody I've known for, for 40 years and they know me from as a kid growing up and all my you know shortcomings and mistakes and things but say if me and Stacey are ministering as a team and they haven't they just meeting her or don't really know her could it be possible that they could even receive from her because that offense or maybe even unbelief or an offense I guess in this case the passage of scripture we're reading mm -hmm. may not be there because I, I, you know I was glancing at it and I kind of remember a little bit about it glancing at it Continue to read these passages of scripture. It doesn't sound like they went anywhere, but Jesus then sends out um, the 12 and he gave them power to heal, cast out devils, sends them out, and they go out doing all kinds of miracles. And it sounds like, I mean, we can look at it, but it sounds like to me they're still same place, Jesus' hometown, where he couldn't do much but lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. That's, good. That's all I have. That's good. All right, well, let's go to, let's go to Luke 9.
9 and we'll look at verse verse 1 <clears throat> says in the New Living Translation says one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases okay now We talked about different hindrances, right? Personal unbelief, an atmosphere of unbelief, disbelief. Now, what's another opposition that we we know that hinders the answers to prayer? We talked about it last week and then believe the week before last too. Think about Daniel. Oh. Mm -hmm. Sorry, demonic. Demonic opposition. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And what did, how did Jesus address that? We just read it, right? Power authority over all of them. He gave us power and authority. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Let's keep reading this. So look at verses two through seven. It says then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said, Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick or a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, Stay in the same house until you leave that town. And if the town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people into their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Okay, what, what do we see in verses three through five? They had, by faith, totally rely on the Lord to provide everything. Yeah, we see that in verse 3. Well, wherever there's not faith or peace where you enter, don't stay there. Because he was church planting. I understand this. And they would, he, would, he was told in, well, it says Luke, find, find people of peace. And if they receive you, stay there. And then you preach. And then a lot of House churches were started out of those places. But if there's no peace there, then depart. Don't stay there. Because how could you minister in a place where you're not received? Mm -hmm. And it speaks to the atmosphere again, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right, let's go to a very, let's go right over to the next chapter. A very familiar passage. Luke 10. Luke 10. That's the scripture I was thinking of. 19. 10, 5, and 6. Look, hold on. Let me let me start at verse 1 again, because you, you hear the same thing said here. 
in the, that we just read in Luke 9. All right, let's go to verse 1 and go down to 7. All right. Now we'll go down to verse 11. New Living Translation says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, no traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, whatever is set before you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out to the streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And now th and know this, the kingdom of God is near. And I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. It's pretty strong. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, you see the importance of atmosphere, right? He says, if the town refuses to welcome you, go out to the streets and say, wipe, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. Because he, he was coming with what? With deliverance. With, with with healing. That's that's what the kingdom of God meant was there. But if that's not welcome, what's the alternative? For them to be left with their faith. Huh? Yeah, this is also I guess this saying also you could spend a lot of time too much time trying to force somebody to receive something they don't want. So mm -hmm. We have to be careful or sensitive to God. Say, okay, understand what's time to move on, or whether to continue ministry. So Keith Moore always says, when a person comes and says, "We don't believe in all that healing stuff," he says, "Well, then you won't be bothered with it." It's like mm -hmm. you don't believe all that prosperity stuff. That's fine, and you won't be bothered with it. Then you'll be broke. Sorry. You don't have to argue with people. You don't have to just don't worry. Then you won't you won't have to worry about it. Because you got to change your heart, mm -hmm. right? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 13 says, What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For of the miracles I did and you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon, you will will be better off on the day of judgment than you. And you people of Capernaum, 
will you be honored in heaven? No, you will be done. We will go down to the place of the dead. Verse 16. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Verse 19. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. <clears throat> but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. So if you look at this study guide and, you know, what Andrew was talking about, how in Daniel, when the opposition that was there, the Daniel and the Old Testament saints, they didn't have the authority given to them that new covenant believers have. Like, like we see Jesus commission here, right? So when there's opposition and, and it's revealed that it's demonic, then by the authority of what is being said here, we can come against that based on Jesus' authority, on his word, what he said. Okay. God is always greater. He knows the answer to everything. And I've been thinking about that recently. No matter what something looks like, I mean, it's like, you know, even if it comes down to we may be doing something we thought God wanted us to do, but it's not. It's like, they keep asking God, you know, making sure. And, you know, if you keep saying, this is, what you, this is my will, is what I want you to do, then he knows exactly the ins and outs and what to do. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So we've spent a lot of time talking about hindrances, right? Personal unbelief, atmosphere and unbelief, disbelief, demonic opposition. And another one we can identify is just praying outside of the will of God, mm -hmm. like James talks about in chapter four. Okay. Now, how do we respond to these hindrances, though? Like, let's, let's take the first one personal unbelief. How do we address that? Word. The word, the word, the word. <laughs> Renew right. your mind. Yep. Renew another mind. Okay. Faith works by love. Get him to know God's love better for you. I thought about this week. I was thinking about where Andrew talked about how grace and faith fellowship. It's really cool. But he talked about you know when things is faith is our response to God's grace, what He's already provided. Yeah. That we can't make ourselves. And I, I, there's been. Things in my life recently where I'm like, what's the day about a couple past couple days? I'm like, you know, my faith, my faith. I go, no, God, my faith, I'm not making my faith. You make my faith. My faith is a response to what you've already done. You know, I'm just trying to relax, you know, but anyway. There you go. But look around your life. 
and look what you should be grateful for that you take for granted. That's a good thing. And all of us do. And we have, living in this country, we have so many things to be grateful for. Mm. I mean, just really, I've, I've, I've been watching people that are living up in the Himalayas and in and, and Nepal. And, I mean, they're living in tents made out of tarps with snow coming in. And uh, they seem to be happier than a lot of wit, a lot of us. Yeah. So, so you have to say, you know, be grateful that you're that you're where you're at and, and living you know, where God's put you. Yeah. And that gratitude can move into faith. That's true too. You know, seeing what God already mm -hmm. did. It's like you love me so much, you gave me this. Why won't you give me that or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's different than paying for a garage for your fifth Corvette. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, I mean, because because what what does that do? I mean, at Thanksgiving, it just it creates an atmosphere. Yes, of of appreciation, contentment, and joy. And what does that do? It opens up the door to more, right? Because you're in a position to receive. You know, you're not you're not striving. You're not in a place of, of, of bitterness, covetousness. That's not, that's the exact opposite of that. And gratitude is a big deal. I mean, you know, I say, Lord, forgive me. You know, you, you just think about the stuff that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. Just the, the ability to take a warm shower. Ah, uh, yes. You know. I know um, Hurricane Isabel taught me a lesson about that yes. one. <laughs> I had to take cold showers shower for a week. And I was like, man, you talking about man, rejoicing when that hot water came back on. Dear we Lord. so thankful to be able to eat off of our camp stove. Well, we, had an old, we had an old camper, so I could fire up that, that hot water in there and we could take hot showers. Yeah, but we didn't realize it for about four days. I know. <laughs> And my lightning fast oh, wow. mind said, you know what? We can, we can heat up that water out there and take showers out there. Yeah. 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 A lot of stuff you do there. <laughs> right. You know, but that's what that gratitude does. It just sets the atmosphere. It sets the atmosphere for, for you to receive more. Mm -hmm. It does. You know, because you you thankful for what you already got. And And, you know, us being grace people, we know that we already have everything anyway. I mean, what is better than having the spirit of, of God dwelling on the inside of you? Mm -hmm. What's better than that? Who's a better roommate? The person you have inside of you knows the answer to every single question of the universe and more. And, and being grateful is a form of praise. And God inhabits that, you know? When you when you're grateful, I mean that's who you're grateful to, and to him. But you have all this stuff, and and then he inhabits that that gratefulness. Yeah. Raquel Hudson was talking Sunday about she's because she's a woman, so she's like, it's like you you're the daughter of the you know your daughter of the king that owns everything, and he's gave you all this stuff, but you're still living like a pauper, and you don't realize that. You have everything at your fingertips. And he goes, she said, it's time for you to you know, go and take your, your place and rejoice. And because you have everything, he's gave you unlimited wealth, unlimited everything you need. You already have the card. She goes, you have a card. She goes, no, you have the card. You're just not using it. 
It's just the way she said it just made me think it's like that's what we do. And 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 usually you have to go. I know in my life I had to go step by step by step, small things first. You know, because you, you can't be to where you never believe God for ten bucks and, and yeah, believe right. for a million. Andrew does that, right? You get you got to like it's, it's in increments. Start somewhere start small. You yeah, you get for five bucks. You get to a place where you can believe him for more confidently. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like you're jumping off a cliff. But now it's neat because of the idea, even that given to receive something, even like finances, is part of all that we're talking about. <clears throat> is that he's never, God's never going like, you have to get, sorry, it made me so hard. <laughs> you have to give, or else you're not going, you know, I'm, I'm holding everything from you. It's like he wants you to learn, just give from your heart. And then eventually you might learn all the principles and you just do it anyway. Or you give more away than you even you think about it. 10% is more. The more it's better to give 2% from your heart than you give 10%. Because you you have to. Or else what, you will withhold. Once your mind's you. renewed and, and you're grateful, he'll start to tell you what to do. Yeah. And you'll desire. The desire to give that will be on you just as strong as when he's telling you, you go do this, and you, you already had that desire. It, it's supernatural. The giving is supernatural. Yeah. It's not, I have to do it. We're, we're exactly. tithing puts you in a place where you have to do it. But but giving is actually a supernatural. It's a gift almost, I think. And you, you get one with him. He speaks to your spirit, and you desire to do that, to please him. And then the benefit is that he, he brings it back, you know, multiplied. And even if you're not looking for it to come back multiplied, it'll come back multiplied. Your giving is a, to me is a reflex. Yeah. It's just what you do. And it's I you are. Person, you know, and even you pay time, you, I mean, it's not something that I know we've, we've been taught you have to do, but even with time, it is something that you do out of your heart. You know, whether you yeah. tell or not, it's something you do out of your heart. And it's like, it's not about, okay, I gotta do it, but. To me, it's like you want to do it. I mean, when we talk about being grateful, when you think about it, you talk about all that God has done for you. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, this is the least I could do. I yeah. mean, it's just to give. And so, like I said, when it comes from that place. Yeah. The tithing used to put me under the law. Well, yeah, I mean, I because I would tithe, too. and then at the end, when I tithe, if somebody needed something else, I would say, I already paid my, my tithes. Yeah, yeah I, so you were held in bondage. Yeah, his heart was closed to giving anything it was else. Because I, I felt like I already met an obligation, but yeah. when I quit tithing and said I'm just going to follow my heart, we gave a lot more than a tithe. Well, I mean, that's what to me New Testament giving is. New Testament, if you don't follow the New Testament giving, it's way above the tithing. So, mm -hmm. you know, so but you know, to me, we we fight about the ten percent, but we shouldn't. I mean, to me, it's a good starting place. This is my opinion. You want to start there, but if not, like you said, five, ten, whatever the case may be. But whatever you give, like I said, I give way above. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what, but whatever you get, like you said, the key is from the heart. It's, it's like, okay. If you've been burned or you're scared or religious and you're not sure what to do because you gave, 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 and you didn't say anything, you really were you were. Hearing Andrew say this, it goes, it is better just to give a little mm -hmm. from here. Later, like we just said, it will come once he wants you to trust. So it's better to get a little bit. And he goes, oh, they did it. 
I'm going to apply something in it. They'll trust me more. It's all about the relationship again. See, you guys are so anti-religious. That's why the, 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 skeptic, the skeptic ain't been here in like two, three weeks. <laughs> we were so, I mean, and, and, yeah. Huh? Well, if you, if you follow the Old Testament, when somebody teaches tithing, the Old Testament didn't say tithing. It said tithes and offerings. That's right. And when you Which figure out, when you figure out all the offerings, it's thirty-three percent. So you have to tell the tithing teachers, wait a minute, it's actually thirty-three percent because you're admitting offerings. To me, I think it's kind of crazy that we we argue about that, but to me, it to me don't make any sense to argue about whether you should pay or not pay. The point is, is if you're giving out of your heart, yeah, that is the whole. Thing. And Paul said, "Give as as it's uh, in your heart to give." You know, he didn't tell you to tie. Give as yeah, as, well, as his purpose in your heart yeah. to give. And that, that it, it to me, that's not like, to. It didn't say you had to. It didn't say not to. It didn't say but, if, but but if you renew your mind, your heart's going to be right, and you're going to desire to give. Absolutely. Period. All right. Absolutely. All right. It is. And. If this new life is the spirit within, then you wouldn't do anything out of an obligation. You do it because that's who the new creation mm -hmm. is. And as the spirit leads, that's what you do. And if we are spirit sons of God or those who are led by the spirit of God, why would that not include your giving? A it's lot, a lot, of, a lot of people are still trying to earn uh, the, their salvation and all kinds of other stuff through through the law, and they're they're turning something that could be grace in the law. If you turn something that's a grace thing into a law thing, there's no benefit. Tell you what, freedom. If it's quiet, all I gotta do is all you gotta do is start talking about money, and we're gonna talk about that money. I tell you, well, but what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, that's why when you start talking about that money, folk, folk, you know, the most quietest person is gonna perk up and start saying something. <laughs> I, I get fired up when I hear somebody teaching on tithing, I'm, because I say, "Tell us who who paid tithes back in the Old Testament? Who paid tithes? People that had, had animals and grew grew gardens. Nobody else tithed. Carpenters, bricklayers." Nobody was required to tie the seven. You had animals or groceries. That was all people that tied. No, but that was before the law was the money that he got from Sodom. It was Sodom. It wasn't even Abraham's money. It was Sodom's money. And he gave a tenth of the stuff he got from Sodom when he overran it. He gave it to uh, Melchizedek. All right, we, it, it wasn't his. We we gonna get back to to yeah. this gonna turn into a tithing teaching. We gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> we have a whole a whole hour and a half, two hours. Here's a word of encouragement. The first year that we said we are not going to tithe as under the law, we're going to give as we are led by the Spirit. At the end of the year, I said, okay, let's just figure out what we gave. It was over one third of our income. We gave away. So we went from about 11% to 33%. That's so cool. Led Aww. by the Spirit and as our as we did purpose in our heart. And we were no more broke than 
right? Yeah, we, we didn't, didn't, we didn't lack, lack anything. That was the neat thing. But we didn't but know. We it. didn't know how much we were giving. Because I told her, we're not going to keep track of this because like, that can be legal. We're right. just going to give as we're led, and then we'll figure it up later. And and we lacked nothing, but we gave three That's times cool. more than we normally would have under tithing. That's awesome. That's cool. See? The spirit of life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From the heart. <laughs> All right. All right. So... We talking about responding to hindrances. So I heard a lot. Praise, prayer, meditation, renewing your mind. Okay. All of those are weapons against personal unbelief. Now, how about unbelief in the atmosphere? How do we address that? This may not be related, but we happen to be rather choosy as to people with whom we share meets mm -hmm. because you don't know what they're thinking, how they believe necessarily. I think you have to choose the people who pray for you carefully. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a snotty way, but right. based on what we were talking about. Right. Yeah. The scripture says, don't cast your pearls mm -hmm. before swine. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Now, I might make the religious skeptic a little excited here. I want us to, I'm going to read a scripture and I want us to talk about how we apply this. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 6. <coughs> Is this skeptic a friend of yours? First he used to be. He's Until I start messing around with Andrew right now. <laughs> Second Corinthians? Yeah, Second Corinthians chapter six. Starting at verse fourteen. All right. I'm gonna read this in the old school King James. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? And what concord have Christ with Belial? Or what part have he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For ye are of the temple of the living God. As God have said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And you will be a father, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So, how do we look at that? This is this is New Testament. Like being marriage, being in, in your if you go in business with someone that shouldn't be an unbeliever. So we can, but well, we also can make this a little bit, can we care about it, make this legalistic too. Well, we just, you know. Shun all unbelievers. Yeah, right, shun people or just act like we <coughs> above them, stuff like that. So you got to be very careful. <coughs> but yeah, sometimes you, you have to separate yourself from people. <laughs> um, because they just like you say they don't believe like you believe and they don't believe and it's like okay and he used I've learned that script he just used 
um, don't cash your prayer once mm-hmm. wine. I just like, okay, I went. If you don't believe this, then I'm not gonna continue to bombard. I used to just bombard people and you know trying to win an argument and just come up with about a thousand fifty. I knew the Lord about mm-hmm. six months, and I said to some guy, "I'm not casting any more pearls before you," because there's a scripture about casting pearls before swine. He said, "You calling me a pig now? I'm a pig." <laughs> Yeah, but I had learned. I was I was just young in the Lord, and He said something that triggered me, and I thought I got to shut him up. (laughs) I I made him mad. (laughs) It's true, like really thinking about belief, like it says, "Don't be unequally yoked with unbeliever." Or you know, did I say that right? Yeah, is um, um, you know, I had somebody who was a father figure in my life at one time, and I was in my like early twenties, and. It was a, a guy at work. I was kind of interested in nothing serious or anything. And I was talking to him. And I mean, I, I believe he really meant well in my life and stuff. But he was like, you know, is he a Christian or whatever? I said, I'm not sure. He goes, well, Julie, that's a slippery slope, honey. And I'm like, you don't even know him. I don't even know him. And at the time, I was like, okay. But I look back and I go, there are, and this is just a side note, by the way, speaking of what we're talking about, being careful who you're around in any part of life. There, you know, being a young woman who has been, you know, single and stuff, I go, there is a lot of unbelieving guys I would rather be around than the believing ones. No offense to anybody, but just some of the doctors mm-hmm. are so screwy, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like, you gotta, we'll talk about, we gotta pray, you know, it's like, God, who do you want me around, you know? <laughs> kind of, and friends and, and relationships and It's so much easier to talk to sometimes if they're open to that. You know, you just can tell. Then a religious person will will leave you. When you leave them, you'll feel condemned every time. They have to put put their superiority over top of your uh, whatever, and that that you'll leave condemned. And then you don't hear. If you receive what they say. I, I put up an imaginary shield like this in front of them when they're talking to me especially if they're trying to talk down to me and I watch those things bouncing off and when I leave I good, good talking to you I think the key, word is, key word is partnership those areas of life where we're entering into a partnership yeah. that's the danger that's where we have to be believers well, unequal, partner unequally yoked would be like putting a, 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 I know, a cow and a donkey on the same yoke mm-hmm. you know it yeah. can't work yeah and really believe in what are they believing? You know? like, you couldn't have a, a, an unbelieving friend, but you wouldn't enter any kind of partnership with that friend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like they may, you know, I, I have so many people I know who I know that they know Jesus, they're going to heaven, but it's like, it's like you are a believer, but what do you believe? You know, like, you believe they were supposed to be sick? Oh, no, you know, you believe God is like, Going to do all this bad evil stuff? Just no, no, thank you. I'm here out. But what you just said, I mean, a lot of, I mean, you come across just a lot of disbelief. They're supposed to be sick. They just, yeah. and they just embrace it. And they just, you know, and then, I mean, I've learned that, okay, well, that's what you believe then. I mean, scripture I mean, but you think you're supposed to have, because I mean, I grew up with people, you know, they have testimony service and they test about how much. 
how they got arthritis and bursitis and, and God was using for the glory. Yeah, yeah. And it's just oh, they talked about they gave glory for all the elements you next Come join me, don't you want some too? Right. And I'm saying, you know, back then it's like, okay, but that's what you were used to. But then I'm saying, okay, well how can you glorify God with something that he paid for? I'm like, he paid for it. Then why am I embracing it? You know, we've learned to embrace it. This is my whatever it is. This is my, you know. This I heard a famous thing. preacher say and one of the people in his church went in the hospital for three months. And he said, you know why he was in there? God was extracting his tithes from him because he hadn't paid his tithes. So he was making him pay the hospital with tithes. And, it, and this was a famous preacher. In other words, God put this man in the hospital to make him pay the hospital bill, which would have been equal to the tithe that he didn't pay. Andrew's mentioned that too. Sometimes. If I said the guy's name, you would all know who he was. But I mean, he, I heard him say it, and I thought, I can't believe you're saying that. See, see what happens when you bring up the T word. <laughs> <laughs> it come on, it come on, the whole rest of the stuff, up. right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> But but that just it speaks to like the religious religiosity. Yeah. It speaks to the abuse of it. How much bondage is that? Mm -hmm. I mean, because really, you setting people off for failure on both sides. Mm -hmm. Either of the people that's just gonna get offended at giving all together and not do it and not and not be able to en enjoy the blessing of giving, mm -hmm. and then you got the other folks that are going to respond in fear, mm -hmm. and they can't receive the fullness of 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 their. Of their action of supposed action of faith because they're they're doing it in bondage and fear. So it's a double-edged sword. So there, there's no there's no good coming out of that except for the people that's receiving it, that's that money. That's it. That's it ain't doing the people that's giving no good. I can't tell you the number of people I met that became Christians and they begin to tithe and give offerings, for, believing that something's coming back for years, and they were sacrificing and doing without. And finally, they just got angry and quit, left the church and said, that stuff don't work. But that's because they were legalistically doing what they were asked to do. Something that I, always comes back to me is something you said years ago, and it's come up several times since then. The message that we heard that brought us to the Lord has and, and determines to a great extent the way we're going to follow the Lord and the way we see Him, and that's like that's like part of it. I didn't have a message, huh? No, I'm not talking about you. Oh, but for people that they got saved because of fire insurance, mm -hmm. or they were told that you know God is mad at them, and this this is to make peace with all the different ways the messages yes. that we heard because we didn't yes. hear the truth. God loves you, right? And you enter in oh, with God. a certain paradigm, mm -hmm. and if you don't get discipled or, or get your mind renewed to the truth you, you believe a lot of those things and you just have a wrong because if you understand the love of God and that's who you are you want to give that's right you we shouldn't be offended if someone if there's a need and in you expect me to it's yeah, all in, it's all in your yeah, heart it's because that's heart. who you are isn't it but we don't know who we are so I think a lot of I think you made that point a long time ago. The way you get saved, mm -hmm. the message that you heard, and the path that you then follow has a lot to do with the way you see God. Because I mean, you know, those people, mm -hmm. yeah. like you said, I agree with you. The way you heard it, and those people got saved. But I think as we talked about it a lot of time, I learned personally 
Okay. But it hinders relationship when you hear the message wrong. Absolutely. And I think he said, you know, it, it affects your intimacy too. Exactly. As far as how intimate you are with God. If the, you hear the message, the message wrong mm -hmm. or, you know, it closed the door to what you can receive when you only believe in God for forgiveness of sin, but then you forget about, you, you're not talking about the healing and the prosperity and the deliverance and the wholeness and, and all that came with the <coughs> salvation practice, then you are just... You know, hey, because I one of the I think I told you before when I first started working, you know, at Costco, and you know, okay, there was a certain benefit that for some reason either I heard from somebody else or it was available, but somebody told me that it wasn't available. Then I remember, you know, I remember somebody told me they got it, and I was like, I went to my boss and said, wait a minute, you know. I thought that you couldn't do this, mm -hmm. you know, so why they do it? And she looked at me, she said, did you read the handbook? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, she just shut me right up. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with us, okay? Right. So people, the messages, you tell people, it's not, well, did you read the book? Mm -hmm. What does the book say versus mm -hmm. what they say? Because if you read the book, the word of God, it tells you that these mm -hmm. things are available to you. But you can read the word with a filter. If you've been came to the Lord because and think believing He's a hard taskmaster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then right. everything you read is going to be through that filter. Mm -hmm. And that you're going to see him that way. And that keeps the blessings from that revelation of the goodness of God. Okay. I'm I'm gonna show you all something. I use a therapy tool. Oh shoot. Okay. I'm gonna show it to you. Because it speaks to this whole thing about paradigms. And we teach this in therapy. Okay. Core beliefs. Oh wow. Okay. Remember what the scripture says, whatever a man think of in his heart, so mm -hmm. is he, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you see this says everyone looks at the world differently. Two people can have the same experience yet have very different interpretations of what happened. Core beliefs are deeply held beliefs that influence how we interpret our experience. Think of core beliefs like a pair of sunglasses. Everyone has a different shade that causes, causes them to see things differently. Now look at this example. And you see the different core beliefs? Mm -hmm. And look at the, the different outcomes, the mm -hmm. thought and the belief. I was that top one for so long, I can't even tell you. Now just imagine this in the spiritual context, the things that you believe about God, mm -hmm. the world, and yourself. And if it's it, it, that religious filter is what everything is, you, you see it through the, those lenses. Yeah, lens, yeah. yeah. They can kill you, they can mm -hmm. almost kill you and kill you. Yeah. So that's why 
what you're hearing, that doctrine you get, mm-hmm. it's important. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing? Because it creates your belief system. Yeah. You're talking about when you're initially saved? Mm-hmm. See, I remember I was like eight, and we were, I was a child, so I believed everything. I trusted God, and little by little, I began, as we were in the church a long time, so little by little, it, you begin to grow and go, oh, oh. And the childish stuff, you just totally, God is, it's good, he's this, he's this. You begin to go, oh, okay, if you do this, but he's still good. And your child, your child yeah. is still there, but little by little, it's chipping at it. Just and like the religion that was in it, the religious. But look, look what our kids are up against. <laughs> All American kids, right? Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, and then when they get to a certain age, you want to teach them about Jesus. And they're going to put him in the same category. Well, you lied about everything else. Because you lied about the Tooth Fairy and. You know, I, had, I had a coworker. She really didn't like attend church. Really like you say, Christian-y type of white girl. But she told me she goes, she didn't do Santa with her kids. And she goes, she felt like she wanted to go like God is real, Jesus is real, and Santa's real, and then when they get over, oh I lied about all, you know, <laughs> you know. It's like my kids grew up and I would tell them Santa is fun to think about. Yeah. But I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> he, like, you can think about him, you can sing about him, you can have fun, but he doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, that's probably something that was my initial thing you ever talked about. Like I always say about what you say about your daughter, and she's growing old, and she's still little, and she trusts you so much. And I, I thought myself, I was eight, and I still just trusted. And to, as I grew, you know, each year I was in the church because my daddy was healed of cancer, it was so wonderful stuff. My daddy was dying, I real had they explained it to us, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, God's so great. Mm-hmm. And then little by little, you begin to hear the stuff, and I would like, listen because I'm so. Excited that something happened and I was warned yeah. around. And then little by little it chipped it away at the, yeah. the child heart mm-hmm. to where you began to, to hear and, 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 and after a while you don't want to believe anything because you figure out what what what's true. Well, what's confusing. Not true. Yeah. Lots of confusing going on. Jesus coming and that's and you if you don't if you don't receive Jesus you're going to hell. Like you said, fire insurance. It was it was not all oh he does heal, but gotta be this gotta be this. So there's that mixture. That mixture. Right, yeah. a mixture. So we got one more lesson to go in this series. All right. What's really next? good as always. I mean, that's right. good. So we're signing off. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you good next night. week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you.